Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to Japers Inc. Radio. I'm your host, Greg Young. And we have a DC institution himself. Uh, we have someone who has, I think, covered or uh, has been at almost every DC sports outlet you can think of. And he's now currently at the at the Athletics. So, uh, Tariq Al-Bashir, welcome on to uh, Japers Inc. Radio on your, uh, I believe, 10-year anniversary of your appearance on the program. You know, my only question is, why did it take you guys an entire decade to circle back to me? Well, okay, all right, okay. I, in my defense, two things. One is that uh, we have actually, uh, like you, uh, we have bounced around from uh, existing and not existing. In your case, right. <laughs> uh, you haven't you haven't not existed, but uh, you haven't you haven't covered the caps like for a few years, That's like true. before you, your true. recent iteration. Which I mean, in my in my opinion, does that mean does that just mean you don't exist at all? Which uh, <laughs> is kind of an interesting question. <laughs> You know, I, I have kind of covered everything in D.C., really. I covered high school sports, the Capitals, went to the Washington football team, uh, Georgetown hoops for a couple of years, and yeah. then back to the Capitals, and then back to the Washington football team, and then back to the Capitals. So, yeah, you have, you have you've seen it all. Um, and that actually, you transitioned into my first question, a question you almost knew was coming. Uh, but uh, I kind of want to, like, ask you, uh, with the Washington football team being in the news so much recently, um, I don't know, like, kind of where do the caps fit in in your in your kind of org? I won't say power rankings, but how do they kind of compare and contrast to some of the orgs in D.C. that you've gotten to cover? Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, I've spent most of my career um, covering the Capitals. Um, I have covered the, the I covered the Washington football team for the first four years from starting with RG3's rookie year. So 12, 2012 to 16. And then again for one year uh, in 2019. Um so I would say the biggest difference, you know, if you're going to compare and contrast those two would be the fact that when you cover the Washington football team, a lot of your focus isn't necessarily on roster stuff. It's not on coaching. It's not on the games. A lot of times you're dealing with ancillary issues, sometimes big issues that have nothing to do with football. You know, you're, you know, most recently, you know, there's been the, um, uh, sexual harassment claims. You know, I I, I didn't um, obviously cover that. That was this year, but it just seems like 
you were always you know, it's almost like you were covering a soap opera with the Washington football team, you know, it was the, <laughs> Shanahan versus versus RG three, RG three's dad versus the Shanahan. It was just always something, um, something else going on, um, kind of a a subplot that sometimes just became the main plot. It, it was to, at times frustrating uh, because you know a lot of us get into sports writing because we actually like covering the games and we like. Yeah covering the athletes. And, you know, I, I would say in my two decades covering sports, I've had two instances where I covered a team where the, the headline was almost always something that was happening away from the field. Um, first, it was the New York Islanders uh, for the New York Times. And you know, they had the ownership issues going yeah. on. I spent more time in a Long Island courtroom than I did actually covering covering the Islanders. And then again, with the Washington football team is just so, you know, as a person who loves sports and isn't really big on, you know, the other stuff, the sideshows, the the um, uh, the kind of the juicy, you know, subplots that, you know, I think a lot of people like to read about but aren't necessarily connected to the on-field product or on-ice product, that, that always, I always found that frustrating. Um, and then when you cover the Capitals, I mean, sure, there are times where you're writing about personalities and conflicts and contractual stalemates or whatever else is going on, but it, it, you never stray too far from the ice when you cover the Caps <laughs> as opposed to the Redskins where sometimes, you know, and I'm, I'm good friends with the folks who still cover the Redskins, I'm um, sorry, the Washington football team yep. um, uh, for, for the athletic. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of like for at least one of them, Ben Standick, I'm kind of like his shrink a little bit. There's just, there's so much going on sometimes. He just needs to, decompress and kind of <laughs> a little, it's a little overwhelming to cover that team in a way it, huh? it really can be overwhelming and um i mean there was a time what like three or four weeks ago when just i mean every day there you were getting whacked over the head with another headline coming out from ashburn uh i actually live in ashburn or, or near ashburn um uh you know from the from the sexual harassment claim you know, there were a couple of stories in the post to uh, Coach Rivera being diagnosed with cancer. I mean, there's just it was just like this can't be real. Uh, is it possible that all of this is happening, you know, in the span of, of you know, just a couple of weeks? So, um, you know, there's some reporters who thrive on that kind of stuff and love that. I, I just for me, I, I've always been about the athletes, about the games, about the X's and O's about about the scores i i i like the uh the stuff that happens in the arena and you know i'll let uh i'll let other people handle <laughs> the stuff that happens away from away from the playing surface sure 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 and at the athletic uh you have a lot of guys that can kind of do do all of those things so it's i'd imagine kind of nice to get to get to be back with the caps and kind of just focus on you know a mostly coherent organization that uh that mostly focuses on hockey um but I, I, one thing I am kind of curious with is you've now covered the Caps in a few different iterations, uh, kind of from the young guns to the modern core to whatever is now. I don't I don't really know. I guess maybe the uh, the beginning of the twilight of Alex Ovechkin, although I feel like whenever sure. we say that, it means that that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, how have you seen the Caps kind of develop since you've been on their beat? Yeah, so I took over the beat. Um right before the lockout that canceled the entire 0405 season, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I came to the post in um, late 99 and Jason Lockett was covering the beat at the time. Um, so I, I kind of was his backup a little bit. 
so so I covered you know a few of the coaching changes and maybe a little bit of the Yager era. Um, and then it kind of started to really transition to me at the end of that 0304 season when um, I don't want to say they tanked, but they tanked. Yeah. And there, 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 were, totally, there was totally like, tanked. oh, it totally tanked. <laughs> there were like, if you ever want to have some fun, Greg, go back and look at some of the players who suited up for that team um, in the last like five or six games of that year. There was a dude named Matt Gates who started in goal. I think Mel Engelstad got a game. I mean, there, there were some dudes who literally. Cut. I love it. They literally never played another NHL game. Um, and so I like just, nationals of like 2007, eight kind of. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. So, so I get handed the beat and I'm like, yes, I finally get to cover the hockey team. I grew up watching, you know, for the, for the paper I grew up reading and then the season got canceled. And so I ended up covering a lot of Gary Bettman press conferences off of, um, off of TV and, you know, hockey comes back the next year and I'm all excited, you know, for, for it. It was funny, even though the Capitals were terrible, if I remember correctly, it was back to back 70 point seasons over these first two years. Sure. People in the game and in Canada, other ca- Canadian media outlets realized how big Ovechkin was going to be. So even though the team was terrible, you know, I was getting TV interviews and radio interviews and people up there were interested in talking to me about this Russian superstar that had come into the league. So it was actually kind of cool because it was the first time that I really, really covered a, a pro hockey beat on a daily basis in the rink. And so I got to kind of got to kind of you know get him on the ground floor with Ovechkin, which I think was um, really good for my career in the long term. But also I, I got to kind of learn at a pace where not everyone was, was super dialed into what was going on because the team, the league was coming off a lockout and, you know, they weren't very good. And there was a bunch of dudes who we knew were just placeholders as this rebuild was kind of taken off. And then I guess by the time Nicholas Baxham showed up, they started getting a little better. And then Bruce Boudreaux gets hired on Thanksgiving day. And from there, it's just been, it's been literally a thousand miles an hour <laughs> from, from the moment he was named, he was named head coach, you know, um, uh, to where we are now. But I mean, you know, it, it really has been, you know, so many different chapters. I mean, you know, you had the rise of Ovechkin, then you had the what's wrong with Ovechkin. Then it was, how come these guys, you know, this capped out team can't do better than the second round. And then it was, oh my God, they won the Stanley Cup, and you know, we're all the stand, we're all standing there on the ice after the game in Vegas, and we're going, this really just happened. Not just the media who covered the team for years, but like even like the behind the scenes employees who had been oh, yeah. there for years. Just the looks we were exchanging, it was like you know everyone's excited, but it was just like this really just happened. And then you know the the disappointment of the last two years, and you know I guess everyone's starting to recognize you know that that the windows that we've been talking about for five years i mean it's it's really closing now and yeah. if they're gonna win another cup they're gonna have another another night like they had in in, in vegas which was still the craziest night i've ever had in my life my adult life <laughs> i think um, the capitals would agree with that <laughs> th- theirs was crazier than mine but but we actually crossed paths several times that night so i got to see up close a lot of that night in vegas which is part of the reason i never went to sleep um <laughs> and you know, I, if they're going to have a second a second run at it, it's going to happen this year or next. Um, or you know, when I say this year, I mean you know 2021 or or the year after that. Because after that, it's going to be really really hard, I think, to um, you know keep counting on Ovi and Backstrom and those guys to 
continue to produce at such a high level. Now, it's funny, the, the, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but the Capitals have a much higher opinion of their 30-something-year-old stars. They, they think they're going to continue to be productive a little longer than most other people outside of the league, uh, outside of the team, including myself, believe. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, again, I mean, if, if they're going to, they're going to make another run of this thing, man, it's going to have to be, uh, next year, you know, it's probably going to be a shortened year, you yeah. know, they, they think they're going to play, they're not playing 82 games. It's going to be a shortened year or, or the year after that. Can I, can I ask you about that kind of val their, their, their valuations of the over 30 core and kind of whether that comports with what you're seeing or not. Is, do you think they're basing that on anything? Is it like, is it maybe a little bit of wishful thinking? Is it, I mean, I mean, because on one hand, like, obviously, Alex Ovechkin, whenever we say, oh, this might be like kind of near the end, he then wins the Rocket Richard again. But at the same time, you look at like a... I don't know, like maybe like a Nicholas Backstrom or TJ Oshie. And like, I mean, they're still effective, but clearly they're slowing down a little bit. So I don't know, like, what do, what do you think they kind of base that on? I, you know, I think they base it on straight numbers. I mean, I mean not only the, the, the numbers that are available on NHL.com, but also sure. their internal advanced analytics, which I think uh, the last time I took a really close look at some of those, those numbers, I mean, over the, the way they kind of look at it is over three in kind of like three year increments. And, um, you know, I'm kind of re- recalling this off the top of my head, but I think they, they feel like Ovechkin, Carlson, Kuznetsov in particular are outperforming these, la- these last three years have outperformed the previous three years. And Backstrom's kind of had held steady to a certain extent, sure. um, despite missing some games. But, you know, I mean, obviously they, they, have a, they, have, they have an analytics department that, you know, we're not privy to that information. But uh, just in talking to people, um, they, ve- they feel very strongly that they're, core guys. And when I say they're core guys, I'm talking about Ovi, talking about Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Tom Wilson. Uh, I'm not really forgetting anyone there, I don't think. Maybe Oshie, uh, you would say? or Yeah, yeah. maybe Oshie. <laughs> yeah, I, I throw Oshie in there. They, they feel like those guys are going to age a little better over these next you know, I, I think most people around the league say, yeah, yeah, they got about two more years of, of, of that core group. I think Capitals probably feel like it's going to be more like three or four you, you know, but having covered a number of teams and, you know, been around this game for a little bit, um, everybody thinks they're, <laughs> they're their own <laughs> players that are going to age well. So, uh, again, I mean, you know, time is going to tell here, but I, I just know that they feel like their window is going to be open a little bit longer, which, yeah. you know, it, it's important to put that out there because I think it's going to help fans kind of understand why some of the moves they make are, are, are made. Um, it's because, you know, think that this is more of a three or four year kind of situation than a one or two year like you know many of us believe can i can i, I want to ask you about a Danny kuznetsov because to me he, whether kuznetsov's able to kind of figure out what happened over the last couple of years really since he went on the run is going to be one of the key factors to whether the caps can keep this window extended or not so what do people on the team think about kuznetsov cuz i mean we look at the numbers and defensively he is bad and it's like it's become a problem so what does the what does the team think about Kuznetsov right now you know Greg I I kind of feel like a big part of what they're figuring out right now is when they're going through this hiring process with the coach I mean if I'm if I'm Brian McClellan one of the the first question I'm asking you know any of these um, candidates is going to be how are you going to fix number 92 yeah give me your plan 
Like, I want a detailed plan. How are you going to get him back to the way he played those 24 games uh, in, in the 2017-18 playoffs and that run to the cup? How are you going to get him to that level? Because I, I feel like internally they believe that he is, in terms of his ability level, anything less than 25 goals and like 75, 80 points is a disappointment. And he hasn't been there for, you know, uh, consistently. Right. I, I think he had that one, one really, really strong year. And ever since it's kind of been up and down with the exception of that, that cup run. And he really is because of his age and, you know, because of what he brings to that first line. I mean, he really is a linchpin. I mean, he is the critical figure. I feel like Ovi, He's going to keep doing what he does. I mean, is he going to score 48 goals next year? I don't know. He's going to be over 40. I mean, he's clearly shown that he's able to adapt. He's lost a step, maybe a step and a half, but he's still, he's shown that he still can spot up in the OV office. He can go to the net and get some tips and some rebounds and do some things that he didn't do early in his career. He's not going to, you know, spin around Roman Hammer like and make the highlight reels anymore, but he's still going to, he's still going to be a leading scorer. Um, Nicholas Backstrom, you know, when he's healthy, um, you know, he has shown that he's durable and is going to continue to produce at a high level. But they, they have to get Kuznetsov to get to that, that next gear, that next level, and stay there for a couple of years if they hope to win a championship. I mean, in my opinion, it's, the conversation begins and ends with him. And you know, I know a lot of people are out there, ah, yeah, they had to trade him while his value is so high. I don't, I don't see that as, as something that's on the table. Um, you know, any player is tradable, obviously, but I, I feel like the challenge for McClellan and company right now is going to be finding a coach who knows where the buttons are and has a plan for getting Kuznetsov to that to that next level. Yeah. And yeah, and it's 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 going to be interesting to kind of see how that is. Um, I, I, I'm going to kind of transition off of this a little bit. We'll, we'll go back to Kuznetsov in a sec, but. I want to ask you, um, I mean, okay, first I want to ask you about Mike Reed, because you've written about uh, Mike Reed, and we talk about one of the kind of foundational Washington Capitals that we were talking about earlier, and uh, you wrote a piece on kind of Mike Green and his uh, kind of development and, you know, really kind of talking about like what he saw his career as being. So you got to cover Mike Green during the Young Guns era. You've gotten to cover him a little bit kind of as he's gone around the NHL. So what do you think Mike Green's legacy is in the NHL? You know, I, I think those first four seasons or so were magic. I mean, what he was able to do, um, you know, from an offensive standpoint as a, as a defenseman, yeah. I'm not so sure we've seen much of that in the modern game. Maybe Brent Burns, maybe Eric Carlson, but I mean, those he was exactly what the Capitals needed um, at the time they were making the, that the, those inroads it, when, when they were when they, when that trajectory was really kind of went from you know slow and steady and they made that big jump that first year of Boudreaux 07, 08, and those next couple of years you know he was exactly what they needed he fit their style it was a uh, live hard play hard you know <laughs> and die hard. Uh, go hard. 24 hours a day kind of kind of locker room and I think that really that really kind of um he kind of embodied you know sure. that that group of young guns um I mean I know Ovi was the headliner and I think you know him taking all of the pressure off of everyone else I think that that helped everyone but I'll tell you man I, I've covered a lot of players there were very few 
as a journalist that where, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching, you know, game 65, you know, it can be, it can get monotonous as you start to get, you know, down the stretch. And, you know, it's a, it's a one goal game caps are down and now Mike Green's got the puck and he's a one man breakout. He, he could have passed the puck to the winger on the breakout, but no, he puts his head down. And he turns those afterburners uh, on and you almost know you, you sit up in your seat, you know, you're like, Oh my God, is he going to do it again? And he breaks someone's ankles and he goes far down. And it's like, Oh my God. I, I, you know, I, there, there were just, there were so many. Yeah, it really was incredible. I, I mean, and the, the crazy thing was his decline was almost as quick. I mean, um, you know, you know, I, I remember <laughs> it's a funny story. I wrote a story about his, he, he gained a lot of weight one year and uh, it was becoming a problem. It was hurting his conditioning and it was hurting his game. And I wrote about it and I called, you know, some people close to him and I wrote the story for the post. And I think he knew I was writing something about it, but he didn't know to what extent. Uh, and it comes out that morning and, uh, I run into him after the morning skate, I think it was the next day. And he was furious. Mm-hmm. I had called, I called his trainer back in Calgary and you know, he thought I was trying to make him look bad. When it, I mean, it was just, it was a problem that everyone, that everyone knew was happening. It needed, the story needed to be told. Sure. And so, <laughs> man, he was mad at me for a couple of weeks. It's funny. We had a good relationship, which yeah. is part, part of the reason why I think he trusted me to kind of write that, you know, that um, our retirement story. There was another story he got mad at me about two years later. Um, it was, do you remember the playoff run? I believe it was the Penguin series where they lost in game seven. He like had a fit over his sticks. Like Easton stopped making like a, yes. a special kind of stick. He couldn't, and he couldn't find it. And he was buying them back from people he had, yeah, he had given them to. That was like, they were involved in that somehow. Yeah, like he was trying to get one back from like the Hall of Fame. And I I, I kind of, I wrote about that and he felt like that made him sound like a mental midget, like he wasn't able to play with <laughs> other sticks. Um, but he was really cool, man. I, I got to know him pretty well. Um, I remember one time uh, MTV Cribs was coming to, he had this awesome bachelor pad on in Clarendon. Uh, MTV Cribs was coming to do a piece on it, and he invited me to come, kind of cover MTV doing the, doing the, you know, the look around the house. Um, that was a long Saturday afternoon, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Uh, but man, I, I'll tell you, there was just, it was funny that day actually when I went to his house and kind of saw that he was into artwork. So that day began actually, funny enough, he was getting a tattoo when I walked in. Oh. Like he was like he was getting part of his sleeve done when I walked in. He was like, "Yo, what up, Dark?" I was like, "Hey." So that was kind of like an interesting. He was you could tell early on that he was in other things. He didn't march to the same beat as everyone else. He he rode a Vespa. You know, he he was getting <laughs> tattoos all over his arms when other guys weren't really doing it on the on the young guns. You know, his house. Um, yeah, I, I remember. You know, he had a lot of like really artwork and other things and it just things that you, that you didn't see in other hockey players kind of worlds you know you could tell that he had other interests um but yeah the the, the decline was kind of sad and quick man it, you know obviously going to Detroit you know I think he made one all-star game but then he had all the injuries he had the neck injury and then he had like a virus of some sort he had all sorts of things that went wrong um, and then he's, you know, he ended up playing for a bad team. I mean, when you're a bad, bad team and your games aren't on television and he's being used differently, you know, and the injuries, I think kind of, you know, hurt his wheels a little bit. Um, but I'll tell you that those first, those first four seasons, I mean, you know, you asked me about his legacy. 
Um, that's how I'm going to remember him is going to be just, you know, the 30 plus goal season, uh, you know, game over green. Uh, <laughs> he used to hate, he used to hate uh, Jay, Jay Beagle used to call him Lambo Greeny because he, oh, yeah. he, he had a Lamborghini that he would drive to, to back then it was called Kettler. Yeah, um, that's, that's a nickname only a hockey player could love. I kind of like that. <laughs> he, so I loved the Lambo Greeny, but he didn't like it. And he, he really hated it when I put it into print. Um, <laughs> so he, he didn't mind game over. I think he was cool with that. But Lambo Greeny, I think uh, – um, it really got under <laughs> got under his skin. But, you know, it's funny. When I talked to him a couple of weeks ago when I was writing that retirement story, we had a really long talk. Um, he's he's not going to fade into the into the sunset. He's going to do some other stuff. I don't think we've heard the last of Mike Green. Uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't really I think he was sure, but wasn't ready to share his next his next steps. But, you know, I think the events that unfolded, you know, during the. During the uh, the pandemic, during that pause, uh, you know, remember he, he he didn't he got injured right before when he's playing for Edmonton, and then he and then he opted out. But I think some of the societal change and and challenges really kind of struck him. And I'm really curious to see what's next for him because um, I, I I think I think he's going to make a mark. Yeah, and uh, I, that actually transitions perfectly to the next thing I was going to talk about, which is, uh, so I, you've talked a little bit about speaking kind of about off the ice stuff, and it's been a theme here at Japers Bank Radio that we've talked a lot about it, about kind of what the Caps and hockey are doing in response to the George Floyd protests and kind of to kind of combat in a small way, I guess, uh, institutional racism in hockey. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious, like, you've got, obviously the Caps have been pretty active, Um so kind of what do you think about what the Caps have done so far? And with it, with the kind of universal thought that Braden Holtby is almost certainly going to be gone in the offseason, kind of what would losing Holtby mean to those kind of efforts that the Caps are having? You know, so I, I got a pretty good look kind of behind the scenes as they were working on those initiatives that they announced about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um and look, I, I think Braden Holtby kind of lends his voice and certainly is behind 100 percent those those um, uh, those initiatives. But it, it was people in the front office that really were kind of putting those things together. Um, I, 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 that's not to minimize Braden Holtby because it, having that public face that everyone knows, you know, supporting these things. I think that's huge. That helps kind of connect people. It kind of makes people um, listen. Um, but I, I think I think even if he does move on, I think they'll be okay uh, because there's a really there's a really strong core of people in that front office that um, really leaned into uh, uh, some of those initiatives. And you know, as they were kind of putting them together, I kind of was getting wind here and there of of what they were working on, and um, it seems genuine, man. It, it it you know, no one made them do this. No one pushed. No one pushed, you know, the, the the front office to to, you know, start these programs that that that, that they've announced. You know, one is going to be, you know, giving more support to the Fort Pont Hockey Club, and you know, maybe granting, um, you know, I wouldn't say scholarships, but having a fund to help minority hockey players at, who are at a young age show a lot of pro, um, promise. I mean, let's be honest. This is a rich. This is a rich sport. It's a. It's a. It's a rich man sport. It's expensive. Yeah. I have a son that plays sixteen-year-old, you know, triple-A hockey, and you know, it's it's going to cost me probably twenty grand this year. You know, it's it's it's. <sighs> there are a lot of stumbling 
stumbling blocks. And, yeah. you know, I, I can't tell you the number of minorities that he started with at six years old and showed a lot of promise and really loved the game. But as things got harder and more expensive, uh, you know, they kind of got bled off, you know, and, yeah. and, and also, you know, as, as a, I, I was coming from a position where I grew up playing the game. I know who to talk to when it's time to kind of get your kid onto a spring team where you can get seen and get, you know, when the tryouts for the top teams are. And all, I knew that stuff. I knew who to talk to. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case for other minority parents who have kids who have shown interest in hockey. They just don't – maybe they don't have the connections or yeah. or do, they don't know who to ask. So just don't Capitals, know what to ask. Yeah. Exactly. So the Capitals have, have you know, said they're going to they're gonna kind of lean in and, 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 you know, throw their support behind that because that's the biggest thing, man. So my, my kid, six – years old he's a he's a forward but for the first several years of his career he wore 76 you know even though he was a forward he wore a defenseman summer because that was pk suban that was an exciting player who looked like him Mm -hmm. and that was a really important thing for him you know i mean sure he loves alex ovechkin and nicholas backstrom and those guys and has a you know world of appreciation for him but to see another person uh of color you know playing the game at a high level that that really drove him, you know, unlike you know, very similar to the way Tiger Woods got me into golf. Yeah. You know, and, and so the, the Capitals recognize that. So that's going to be a big part of their initiatives. Um, you know, they're going to be doing other things like, uh, you know, um, you know, talking to, you know, sending out players and other and other members of the organization to talk to coaches and players at the start of seasons, you know, about, um, uh, you know, avoiding some of the issues that have plagued the game, you know, like the name call, you know, the, the, the racist taunts and the name calling and, and also how to, how to properly punish those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, there, there's a list of things that, that, that the Capitals have said they are going to do. And from talking to Ted Leonsis and on down to other people, it seems like there's a lot of interest and they're going to stand behind this. So, um, it's going to be very – I'll tell you this also, just, you know, looking around the league, there are, there are a few teams that have announced, you know, a few things here. A few th- I think the Capitals have have leaned into it a little more than, than – or maybe a lot more than other teams. So yeah. I, I think they kind of want to lead the way uh, to a certain extent. Um, you know, they're, they're going to unveil a commercial campaign, uh, which is going to be very direct and to the point with some of their top players, you know, basically looking into the camera and going, stop racism. Stop yeah. racism in society. Stop, stop it in hockey. Let's, you know, let's clean this up. And and it, it's going to be, it's it's going to, it's not going to be ambiguous. It's not going to be, well, what were they really saying there? No, no. He looked right, you know, whoever, whichever player it is, I don't think they filled me yet. It's going to look right into the camera and tell you uh, what they think about this issue. So, um, you know, kudos to them for, you know, kind of seeing, seeing an issue and, uh, you know, recognizing that they're in, you know, the capital of this country and uh, they're a good team that a lot of people pay attention to. And this is a very diverse city. And, you know, I, I, I think they, they met the challenge. Uh, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to follow and make sure, you know, and kind of, you know, see if they, see if they follow through and all this yeah, stuff. But I, I, but my, my feeling, my feeling yeah, is yeah. they're they going to. Yeah. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And uh, I think, I mean, I, one thing, and then we'll, we'll go to break after this, but one thing that I, I think what's interesting is you talk to uh, various kind of minority fans of the Washington Capitals, and I, you hear that, like, the kind of importance of having a DeMonte smith Helly play a super important role in their run, or having Joel Ward on the team, who is very, like, 
kind of prominent minority players on the team and that kind of the impact that that can have in the DC community in terms of just be making the Capitals not just a fan base of rich white people. Yeah, I, I totally. I mean, getting back to the, you know, the uh, example I used with my kid and, and Subban, I mean, the, when, when, you, when you look around and you see someone in the game you love who looks like you and maybe had some of the same experiences as you did in this country or even a Canadian, you know, that, that, that piques your interest even more. And I, I think the next challenge for the NHL, I mean, yes, we still need more players. And I, and I think if you look at some of the ones who've been drafted over the last few years, I think you're going to start seeing more people of color entering the league here in the next couple of years. But the next challenge is going to be also getting people of color in, in positions of power, like, you know, Mike Greer, you know, moving up the coaching chain. You know, um, you know, uh, I, I think I saw Kevin Weeks had interviewed for a GM job. You know, yeah. it, it's it's going to be more more of that um, uh, because again, you know, I know a lot of people probably hear this and they go, "Why is it always about race?" Well, look, I mean, when when you're a minority and you've been with, through what you've been through in this country, and you are trying to connect to a sport where ninety some percent, yeah. yeah, don't don't look like you. It, it I, I I just I can't even explain what it feels like when you watch a game and you see PK Subban coming down the wing, you know, you know, um, and then stopping at the blue line and hammering one of his, you know, one of his shots and it goes in and you're like, it, you know, it's just, it's, it's a feeling that's really hard to describe. Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember when, when the Capitals won the cup, one of my closest friends that I went to Howard university with texted me right away. And he said, man, I never thought I was going to see the day when a guy named Devontae was going to have his name on a Stanley Cup. That is yeah. so cool. And, um, you know, it, it really is. Uh, and and uh, we need more of it. And I, I think I think this 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 last five, six months, I think, has shown the league that uh, there is a pathway forward there. And, and, and there is there's a lot of work to be done. But, you know, I, I just really hope. I really hope that this is this is going to create lasting change in not only in society but in in sports and not and, and that it just doesn't you know go away as we get further away from the pandemic and you know kind of the civil unrest we've been seeing. Yeah, well, a- amen to that. Um, all right, with that, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, uh, we are we've gotten uh, thirty three minutes in and we have not mentioned Mike Babcock's name. Uh, that will change. <laughs> After the break, I promise. Uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the uh, the Caps off season. So stay stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Inc. Radio. I'm still here with uh, Tariq Al Bashir. So uh, all right, as I mentioned on the other side of the break, uh, we are gonna talk about the Caps head coaching. But I think I wanna before we go into that, I wanna talk about the Caps in the bubble and kind of what went wrong because as a as a uninformed outsider it seems to me that that kind of cemented Todd Reardon's fate how not just that they lost the Islanders but how they looked in doing it so I don't know I guess Tariq kind of before we go into the head coaching what do you think went wrong with the Caps in the bubble you know I, I think with with the exception of only a few periods <laughs> in in the bubble <laughs> for the most part the Capitals were what we had seen since basically Christmas time um, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I think there was hope that maybe they would rediscover the legs and the energy and the determination and the passion that they played with those first two and a half, three months. 
um, of the regular season when they blew away the competition. I believe, believe they were in what first place by five points yep. over Boston <laughs> at some point in December. They were on um, cruise control. Yeah, they were on cruise control, and then and then it just kind of all it kind of all fell apart. And 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 so getting back to to what happened in the bubble, I I, I really think it was just a continuation of of what we had seen in January, February, and March, you know, leading up to the stoppage, which was a team that it kind of had kind of let its, I don't say culture, but it just kind of let the details kind of slip and it just, it just got worse and it snowballed and they weren't able to catch it. And I saw kind of signs of it eroding probably in February, like really eroding in February. And then there was McClellan talked about that too, right? He did. He did. And then, you know, th- there was there was a game in March where I thought the Capitals were in danger. I thought Todd Reardon was in jeopardy then. Um, remember, they had that sloppy game at Madison Square Garden and then they went to Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. And and I believe they pulled off an improbable win at they Pittsburgh, did. given, given how they were winning. <laughs> it was. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if they had lost that game, if. If there might have been a move there, that's that's late in the season to make a move. But my spidey sense was kind of, you know, I was starting to kind of look around. I, I, you know, you cover a beat for long enough. You kind of know when the flags are there, when, you know, the GM's now on the trip and he wasn't on the trip to start the trip and what's going on here. And there was some of that going on and they won that game and it took some of the pressure off. And then they went to Buffalo and they had that. If I remember correctly, God, my memory is terrible. I think, I think they, they came back. Or they lost in overtime, right? And they came back late in the third period. Orloff yeah. had a big goal. They got a point. It was an ugly loss. Holpe complained after the game. Said, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to get very far if we continue to play this way, but we'll take the point. And then the season went away. And then literally like a day later, the season was on ice. It was over. And we didn't know right then that it was going to be – though the stop was going to be that long. Um, but I, but I think that just kind of, it, you know, it just kind of froze everything right where it was. And I think there was hope internally and even externally. I know I was optimistic that, okay, well, it took, it took a few months off and maybe they kind of, you know, getting away from each other, kind of, you know, um, make the heart grow fonder and, you know, the legs got yeah, rested up. And record, you know, yeah. Exactly. I, I felt like it, maybe this is the start of a new season, uh, you know, it had been such a long break. And then, you know, I, I could tell, I mean, there were, there were some practices during that restart. You know, remember it was open to the media, that training camp yep. where you could just kind of tell, you could look at some faces. You could tell there were a handful of guys that I don't want to say they, weren't, they didn't want to be there, but the energy wasn't there. And it, you could, it, th- things kind of felt a little flat and a little stale then. And I was like, uh Oh, if it's stale before you get to the bubble, when you say goodbye to your families and you're in a hotel and you're eating at the same restaurant every night, you're flat now. It's it going to be really <laughs> hard. It's going to be really hard to, to, to make it better. And, um, you know, then we saw that round robin. They still not a whole lot of passion, not a whole lot of second effort, you know, and, um, and structurally they were still a, a tire fire, you know, defensively and the goaltending wasn't great. And then they get into that first round <laughs> against the Islanders and it's just, you know, you know, it, it, and it's what's really frustrating. And I think what, what really frustrated people in the organization from McClellan on down is, you know, when you look at the talent levels, you know, you, you, you look at the players on paper and you're like, this Capitals team should, it's going to be a tough series, but they should be able to advance in six games. Yeah. 
and then you're down three nothing. It's like what the what is going on here? I, I mean, really, I, the three games weren't even. I mean, they were close score wise a couple of times, but they they didn't feel close. You know, one person argued to me the other day, and I and I I, I entertained the thought for a second. But had Verona scored that overtime breakaway, yeah, would that have changed things? And I, I feel like it might have temporarily changed things, but I still think they would have lost that series. Uh, I still think I still don't think they would have gotten out of that series. Um, the Islanders just played with too much detail and too much determination and uh, too much consistency. You know, I, I, I mean, and you could just see period after period, the Caps getting more frustrated, you know, not being able to get to the neutral zone and, you know, their skilled players want to play a certain way and adjustments weren't being made or maybe they weren't listening to the adjustments. And it just, it just looked like a toddler, like banging their head against a wall. And it was like, guys, you're, you're, you're literally falling into the Islanders trap. (laughs) And, And they couldn't, they just couldn't, you know, find their way out of it. And, you know, I, I mean, there was a little bit of time after the – I mean, I think everyone knew that the firing was coming. I thought it was uh, going to happen relatively quickly. Um, you were right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, What happened on a Sunday, um, three, two and a half days <laughs> after. Than, even if you were thinking it was going to happen quickly, that it would happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, and, and then I go back to, you know, that, that, uh, that last week before the stoppage and – Things were pretty tenuous back then, too. So, I mean, I don't think the window's closed. I think there's it's still propped open, and depending on what McClellan's able to pull off during this weird offseason, when no one knows what the budget's going to be, and you know when hockey's going to start again, if, if he can if he can get the right coach, he can get the right guy in here that can you know, I, I hate I hate the term push buttons, but that really yeah. is what it is. It really is what it is. Is knowing how to tweak guys to get them to play at their best, especially veteran guys mm-hmm. to get, to get veteran guys who've got more money than they'll ever need in the bank. They've already got a championship. How do you get those guys to dial in and do it every night? They can get the right guy. I, I think they can maybe make another run, maybe another two, but at least one more in the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, you, you led me, you led me right there. So I'll, I'll ask about it. Uh, I, I think what's interesting, and I think you were you were kind of hinting at this, is the Caps, I think, clearly want, at least in McCullen's comments, want someone who's going to be maybe a, I'll charitably call it a bit more of a disciplinarian. So, I don't know, like, who do you think the right fit is? And, and is it kind of talking about Babcock in that kind of vein, what do you think he would bring specifically to the table? So you're right. I mean, they need a hard ass. They, they, yeah. they need someone who's going to hold players accountable. You're going to need someone who I don't want to say is unpredictable, but isn't necessarily a pleasant person to, at all times. <laughs> I mean, you, you need you need a bad cop. Yeah. Um, and you also need someone who has who has the 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 credentials where they can say, I've done it. Listen, guys, if you do what I say, we can do this because I've done this before a couple of times. Um. Babcock, to the to to that end, I think would make some sense. The thing that concerns me with him is the baggage, right? It, it's the you know on the, on the one hand you got this organization that's leaning into social issues and and saying that they want to they, they want to affect change in the community and you know do these other things. And then you're 
hiring a guy who, you know, after he was fired in Toronto, I mean, we all we all know about the Mitch Marner list and, and all those other things that happened. And, you know, you I, some of the stories. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Friends. And I mean, you read some of those stories and you were like, oh, my God, he did. I mean, there were there were questionable tactics. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe things you could have gotten away with, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but don't fly nowadays. And I always felt like if Babcock wanted to get back in the game, he was going to have to go a few years and kind of rehabilitate his, his reputation. I don't know if that's really happened. I feel oh. like he just kind of disappeared, uh, you know, what, about a year, uh, like, 10 months ago. Helping like a junior team or, or a high school team or something like that. Yeah, or actually college, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he volunteered to, to, yeah, uh, yeah, to be a volunteer college, uh, college coach. Uh, was it Vermont? If I, I remember Vermont. correctly, that sounds yeah, funny. yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like he checks a lot of the boxes, but he makes me make. It, there, there are a couple things that I'm a little uneasy about. I mean, clearly, if, if, if you know, they've already gone through the interview process and they'll probably talk to him again, that, that they probably are going to talk to people around him and make sure that this isn't going to become an issue here. Um, I mean, to me, Greg, I, I think uh, Peter Laviolette kind of checks all of the boxes, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's probably the probably the best choice, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, Brian McClellan has played this thing very close to the best, as he plays most things very close to the best. So um, I'd be very surprised if details of the interview process kind of leak out. Um, sure. uh, that's just not really how he conducts his business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the opposite of, of the uh, football team. <laughs> the opposite, of, the opposite of the football team. Um, you know, uh, I, I I feel like Laviolette has a reputation for being a hard ass and a task taskmaster. And he has a track record where that is shown that he shows up and the results are, are immediate. And that's exactly what the capitals need because their window is so tight now that they need someone. They, they don't need someone who can come in and build. They need someone who can come in and kick ass and get guys to fall on the line quickly and, you know, make that run in the first year or the second year. And lobby has a, um, a history of that. He also has a history of burning guys out after a couple of years. And, <laughs> well, and I mean, the you window know, might be over after a couple of years. So. That, which, which, you know, it, it's funny in, in, in the capital situation, it, 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 he just seems to me to be the, the, the guy that, um, you know, would be the best choice. Um, you know, Gerard Gallant, I don't know. Um, he, he's, he's kind of a hybrid between a player coach but can also be demanding you know i know he has some history with with mcclellan from their days with the red wings but i, I don't know if he has enough track record i mean they really really do need someone who can walk into that room on the first day <clears throat> and everyone sits up in their stall and you know from that moment on they know this guy's legit he's here to win he, we know who this guy is um the question is, can they, can they make the money work? I mean, this is a team that, let's be honest, I, yeah. you know, I, McClellan can say whatever he wants about, you know, having having a blank check. Uh, that's never been an issue. History says otherwise. I mean, they've had one veteran coach in the Ovechkin era, and we know what they did in 2018, and even he was underpaid. Yeah. So, you know, are they going to be able to strike a deal to bring one of these guys in? Because, I mean, a guy like Laviolette, he's got the power to command a four or five-year term. Sure. Babcock's not coming here for less than a five-year term. Yeah. So, do, do you think the monumental layoffs could kind of be part of a problem here too? Because I, I mean, it's it's got to be tough when you lay off what, like a third of your staff to say, well, we're going to pay this veteran head coach like five, six million a year. 
It's funny you say that because I kind of asked that question a little more delicately than that to, to, to yeah. someone the other day, and they said, "Listen, you don't, you don't want to torture sources." <laughs> like but 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 I but I definitely I mean it, I had the same thought you did was you know this is a team that you know just furloughed a bunch of employees two or two hundred plus right they haven't earned any money any real money since you know the first week of March. Um, you, you know the, they're connected to the Wizards and the Mystics, and they're paying rent or a mortgage on Capital One Arena, and it's been empty. Yes. Um, you know, Leontis has decently deep pockets. Some of his people in his ownership group have really deep pockets. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think you can ask that question. Is this the, you know, can well, A, can they afford it? Um, and, B, you know, what are, what are the optics of, you know, laying off people um, or furloughing people and then hiring someone. But I was told, I was told, it's hard to kind of come full circle here, but um, that they look, it's two different, it's two different budgets. I mean, and that's the way it would be explained is look, the money set aside for hockey operations and the coach is not the same money that's set aside for running the ticket sales operation. That's just, they're two different budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the greatest explanation, but it was the way it was explained to me by someone who knows how it works. So um, I, I, I don't know if that's – I don't feel like, Greg, that's going to be a consideration. Um, I, I think the real question is going to be, you know, what's the ask? What kind of deal, you know, are they able to work out with, you know, in Babcock's case, if, if it is Babcock, you know, what kind of deal can they work out with the, with in terms of money? Because, you know, he's under contract still, uh, the, you know, the offset with Toronto. Like the next, like, five years or something. Like uh, three, three years. Three years. Okay. Like, yeah, like almost $6 million a year. And, you know, Laviolette, I think, has term left. So, you know, the, the, with, with respect to offset, things have to be worked out. Um, so I think that's another reason why this is still, you know, what they fired Todd on August 23rd. So we're already three weeks into this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could see this stretching for another couple of weeks, another week, another two weeks, because there are a few things going on here. They got to get it right. First of all. Right. I mean, I mean, this is for McClellan. This is, this is his big move. I mean, he's made some big, but this is, this is the biggest move. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to get this right. Um, and I don't feel like they're in competition with anyone else. So they can kind of go methodically and make sure they get this right and make sure all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. And, you know, um, also, we don't really know about next year. I mean, I, I think you do want to have someone in place by the draft, but even if you don't, how much does a new coach have to do with the draft? You know, you're talking about drafting an 18 year old kid who's going to be in Washington by you know, this other coach is going to be gone by then. So, yeah, um, there are a lot of things going on here, but I, I would say by the end of the month, certainly that there there will be a uh, there'll be a new head coach in DC. Yeah. So I, I will kind of kind of finish up with, uh, I mean, this is going to be an interesting off season with the flat cap and kind of, so I guess, what are, what are you thinking about how this off season is going to look for the caps? Is it, is it going to be dependent on whoever you think the head coach is, or do you think there's some things that we know that they're going to do or not do at this point? Still? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I, I, my feeling is the new coach is going to have something to do, obviously, with with the free agents who are signed. Sure. Um, and if they do have a, a, you know, a sizable trade that they want to pursue, they like they want the coach in on that, too. Because, like I said, I mean, you know, they're, they're in that really tight time frame here. I mean, everything's got to they got to get the right coach. They got to get the right guys who can play the coach, 
you know, play the coach's system and do what the coach wants um, so they can, so they can uh, hopefully, you know, pull together and make another run. I, I think the holes are rather obvious. I mean, you know, yeah. the defense was not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> one, if not two top four defensemen, preferably one of them being a right shot. Um, you're, you're, you're going to need a middle six winger. Um, you know, someone who's going to replace Kovalchuk, uh, you, you know, assuming that, that you have uh, Hagelin or Ponick is going to step down to that fourth line. You're going to need someone who can produce, you know, at that, at, um, uh, you know, not only in the regular season, but someone who's got some, some, some history of producing in the postseason as well. They got nothing from the bottom six. No. <laughs> That's, that, that doesn't work. That's not going to work. Uh, and then they need a goaltender. Um, you know, the word is Ilya Samsonov. It's going to be okay. Um, you know, he fell off an ATV and hurt himself um, in <laughs> Russia. Which is strange injury, wasn't it? Just in terms of everything we knew and didn't know know about that. It, it, look, uh, it, yes, and and I think there's some reasons for that. Uh, you know, I, I talked to people in and around the team, and it sounds like there was an ATV accident, and there was also something that happened on the ice. And look, if you get hurt in a you know in an ATV accident, that kind of brings into questions about your contract and other things. And I think. The Caps didn't want to broach that because when you start going down that road, now does that guy want to play? It can just get really messy yeah. really quick. There's no so, coming back from that road in a lot of ways. A hundred percent. He's 23 years old. He's, he's yeah. still the guy they hope they can hang the franchise on in goal for a number of years. So I think they they decided they weren't going to talk about it. They weren't going to make a big deal of it. We're just going to send you to rehab. You're going to stay here in D.C., work with a tutor so you can get your English straight and uh, get you ready for next year. But they got to get – you know, uh, like, like you said at the start of this, I mean, it looks like Hopi's on his way out the door. I, I, I agree with you there. They got to get someone, you know, a 30 something who has some starting experience, but is okay at this point in their career sharing the load um, or, or even seating the load, right? I mean, even allowing, you know, saying, okay, here's it's Ilya's team. I'm here to play 30 games. I'm going to help him, help bring him along and show, show him the way. Um, there are a few guys out there that I think are in their price range. And um, so those are the three moves that I think need to be addressed either via free agency or via trade, probably via free agency. The, the kind of the X factor, Greg, that, that I wonder is, you know, when, when the autopsy of last season is kind of completed and they've, you know, they've kind of charted their path forward, do they feel like they need to do something to shake up that core via trade? Or do they have a trade up their sleeve? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is we're talking about all this stuff. At the same time, you're reading these stories and hearing these reports from around the league that, you know, if next year is shortened and there's not going to be 100% attendance, then some teams are going to play with caps that are lower than the ceiling. I mean, this could be oh, a wild, this could be a wild offseason. Yeah. I mean, there could be teams – that we're planning to spend a certain amount who now have an internal budget of 70 million who now have to get rid of players that you never thought were going to be available. Yeah. And as, an or, and as, and as if you're the capital, you have, you have talked to, about that, right? That they're going to be yeah. like at least 10 million under what they are now. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're the capitals, you got to look at your, look at your bank account and go, okay, well, can we afford to get in the game here? And if we yeah. can, that guy over there was not supposed to be available, but he is now. Can we trade some parts to get that? So yeah. this, this could be kind of a wild offseason starting, uh, what, three weeks from now? Uh, yeah. yeah, about three weeks from now. It could, could be very, very interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't get the sense that they're going to blow it up or do anything drastic, but I, I do feel like there's going to be a couple of 
signings that are going to, ooh, okay, all right. And I think there's going to be that one trade, like that Niskanen trade, where you smack your forehead and you're like, what? They did what? <laughs> um, I think there might be one of those, too. So, um, I mean, the urgency is there. These guys know, you know, those, they know that they've got to get something uh, get something uh, going here in the next next couple of years. And um, this first one's going to be especially important. So, yeah. All right. Well, I want to... I want to conclude this uh, by asking about a, a guy who we've kind of talked about a little bit, but I think I I don't know where you are on if Holpe is the best Caps goalie of the in franchise history or not. Yes. I think you can kind of you think yes. you think he is. Yes. Um. Okay. Well, so talk talk about Braden Holpe. I mean, this seems clearly like this is kind of the end of the road for him in DC. Yeah. What do you think? I I always like I've asked you one legacy question, and I'm going to conclude on another because. You kind of seen Brayden Holpe throughout his whole career. What what do you think his legacy is in DC? Man, the first time I saw him was at Kettler. He showed up and he was a skinny little kid from you know the Midwest of middle Canada, of nowhere, Canada. wearing glasses. <laughs> and I'm like, who drafts a goalie with glasses? What are yeah. we doing here? Like it's hard <laughs> enough to stop a puck if you don't wear glasses. And <laughs> I remember this, he looked like he was so young, and I remember going to myself. He's got to jump over all these other good goalies. I'm, how much time do I want to invest in getting to know this guy? It's a fourth round pick with, you know, at, what at, the, at that time there was already Varlamov was emerging. There were other, there were there were there were plenty of roadblocks in his in his way, and uh, and then and then maybe like two years into it, someone in the organization. I'm trying to think if it was Dave Pryor or someone else, former goalie coach. Someone was like, Hey, Tark, you need to pay attention to this Holpe kid. He's he, he 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 might be the best of all three. Speaking of uh, Varley, Neuvert, and uh, and Holpe, and I was like, what? The kid with glasses? What? <laughs> and you know, th- and he shows up at camp the next year, and he's you know he's playing great, and then he's in Hershey, and he's playing well, and we're like, oh my god! And you know, so it's improbable. Like I I didn't see this coming. I'm not sure anyone saw yeah. this coming. Um, maybe, maybe Dave Pryor saw this coming, but I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people outside of the coaching world, uh, expected Braden Holtby to come in. And then you know, that stretch from 2015, you know, a lot like Mike Green, man, like that stretch from 2015 to, um, maybe it was 14 to 17, where he was yeah. like by far the most, win- the, the winningest goalie in the game and had this, you know, 920 something save percentage yeah. and, you know, won the Vesna trophy and, you know, Probably should have won the other one, realistically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but also he was speaking up on social issues yeah. and, you know, he was this, you know, the glasses were gone. He's now this bearded, good-looking man that the, the teenage girls are going crazy over. And it's like, <laughs> he, like he became like a rock star, right? He it was, was. like, it's so it was just so improbable. I didn't see it coming. And uh, it, it was just, I, you know, the sentimental part of me is just, I'm so glad that, not that Grubauer had to had to you know wet the bed there. Actually, it wasn't even. His, I mean, they just wanted to mix it up a little bit. Sure. But you know that Holpe was able to get back in there, and even if it was only for two months, just rediscover his form. And you know he, he didn't have insane performances during that run, but he was more than good enough, and yeah. he made the save. And you know to get that championship, Tampa, you know, yeah, yeah, the back to back shutouts were awesome. Yeah. Um. But to, to, to win that cup and to do it with, you know, with the team that drafted him, um, 
you know, with Ovi, I, that was just so cool. I, you know, I'm so glad he was able to experience that. And look, I'm not a hundred percent ready to close the book because like I said, this off season is going to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be crazy. Um, I, I, I think that he could probably, he's probably going to earn more and get more years somewhere else. But until I get a feel, a better feel for what, what this free agents class, uh, free agency um, uh, period is going to look like. I, I would say he might not get that big money offer. He might. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say seven, I, I would say I'm 70, 30, 80, 20 right now that he's out the door. Sure. But until I really, I mean, and not to mention there's going to be a glut of goaltenders on yeah, the market. Right. I mean, there's a lot of good players who are going to be looking Probably for money. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I wouldn't totally close the door, but I, but I do think that we've probably seen Braden play his last game and, um, you know, he's a truly good dude, man. I enjoyed talking to him. He was a smart guy. Uh, he was always a he was always a very thoughtful interview. You know, uh, and and one thing that I, I've learned, especially in the last little while, it's not easy to use your platform to speak up about things that maybe not everyone wants to hear. Mm-hmm. But when you're passionate about something and you believe in something, um, it's it's it takes a special kind of guy to to stand in front of the microphones. And, you know, know you're going to talk about something that some, you know, that it's hard to talk about. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the Instagram post that he had on George Floyd, um, I mean, that really struck me. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of players in different sports had things to say. This was personal, man. He, wore, yeah. he wrote about the Woodrow Wilson Bridge and seeing it every morning and what he that did. must feel like to drive across that as an African-American. You know, it was a really heartfelt um uh, note and it really resonated with me and I think a lot of other people and um, yeah I, I mean if if, that, if this is indeed it, it, it you know he's going to be missed uh, but I think you know there's people in DC who will all you know will continue to follow his career um, and you, you just hope that he leaves on good terms and you know he'll be welcomed back like the Peter Bondras of the world and Ole Kolzigs and you know uh, will you know when his playing days are over and you know will always be part of the family here. Yeah. And uh, I will say this as a LGBT Caps fan, uh, that it was, it's always really cool to see someone, uh, particularly obviously hockey does not have the world's greatest culture of uh, right. being accepting on LGBT issues. It was really good to kind of see Holpe. I always thought there was some, some kind of special, like, kind of thing that the, the year the Caps won, they actually... Uh, Pride in DC was that weekend, and obviously, hope he wasn't quite able to go. But that was <laughs> that was always something I thought was really cool. So yeah, uh, I, I mean the 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 you know the rainbow tape on his stick. You know, not not everyone did it. I mean, you know, he went to the went to the parade two or three times with with um, his wife Brandy. I mean, it, it was it was just something he felt was important, and you know, he leaned into it. And I think you know, it, it takes a special kind of person to to put themselves out there like that. And I think for for that he'll always be remembered, and of course the save in the Stanley Cup. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was those, those were those were pretty good. <laughs> but uh, all right, well, Turk, this is this has been incredible. You're you're a pro. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Uh, where can people find you and your stuff? And uh, the uh, yeah, I, I hear that uh, the Athletic might have a uh, might have a, a deal going on right now. Yeah, right, you know, right now um, we are offering one dollar a month for new subscribers to the Athletic. Uh, you get all of my coverage of the Capitals. Uh, but you also get access to all the other sports we cover, you know, from golf, motorsports, football, baseball, basketball, all 31 NHL teams. We also have some really incredible uh, national writers. 
writers on all the major sports, including hockey. I mean, if you love hockey, I mean, the athletic, the you, can, you, you can waste an entire weekend just <laughs> reading about all the, all the stuff that's going on yep. in the league. Um, that. Yeah, sign up, sign up. Uh, it, this is a deal that I don't know how much longer it's going to be around, but it's a deal. Yeah. And uh, where can uh, where can people find uh, you uh, you on the uh, social medias? Well, I guess there's one that we're yeah to- yeah. T- <laughs> Twitter Twitter is mainly what I use. So yeah, just my name Tarek El Bashir. You know, Tarek underscore El Bashir. Um, uh, Instagram, I got it. I don't do a whole lot on it. Uh, Facebook, I I deleted that a while ago. So <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's smart. I'm actually thinking about deleting mine too because it's just like. Ugh. This is a time suck. <laughs> I don't have enough time as it is. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, well, if you do have time, uh, this is now me transitioning to uh, if you like the show, please rate, rate, subscribe, and review on iTunes, po- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get Japers Rank Radio. Uh, that would be great. And uh, you can follow me at GregY underscore JR. You can follow the show at, uh, Japer- at Japers Rank Radio. And uh, Tarek, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Thanks for having me on. Uh, 10-year anniversary episode. There you go. Yeah, the 10-year Thanks, anniversary episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and uh, just as a heads up, uh, next week, uh, there might be a show, there might not. I'm going to be in Denmark. Uh, so uh, hopefully I will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, figure, see if we can figure something out. But uh, So stay tuned. <laughs>